Got a lot going on on the podcast today. Anthony Slater, little trade deadline stuff. What is going on with the Warriors now that maybe you have to look at this a little differently with the Curry injury that could be maybe a month? Mitchell Schwartz, who won a Super Bowl with the Kansas City Chiefs. He's going to preview the Super Bowl and talk a little Mahomes as well. I have an open on Kyrie as we learned some of the pricing stuff that was actually pretty revealing uh, just hours after he was traded. And then life advice. So Rudy's back. It's the Ryan Russillo podcast presented by FanDuel. The road to the NBA final starts now, and FanDuel is the best place to get in on the action. Right now, you can check out the new and improved Quick Bets, which are back and better than ever for the NBA playoffs and FanDuel. Find what you're looking for faster and easier with more props right at your fingertips. You can check out live bets like three-minute markets and exclusive live bets like quarter player props player assist combos, and more. So download the app today and bet with FanDuel, official partner of the NBA. The Ringer is committed to responsible gaming, so please visit rg-help.com to learn more about the resources and helplines available and listen to the end of the episode for additional details. Must be 21 and older, 18 plus in D.C., and present in select states. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit rg-help.com. Apple Card is the perfect cashback rewards credit card. You earn up to 3% daily cash on every purchase, every day. That's 3% on your favorite products at Apple, 2% on all other Apple Card with Apple Pay purchases, and 1% on anything you buy with your titanium Apple Card or virtual card number. Visit apple.co forward slash card calculator to see how much you can earn. Apple Card issued by Goldman Sachs Bank USA, Salt Lake City branch, subject to credit approval. Terms apply. I taped for over an hour yesterday with Bill Simmons in house, uh, and I didn't know how much would be left on the Kyrie thing because eventually I was going to be like, okay, well, there's my open. Friday, he demands a trade. Sunday, he's actually traded. So I was like, there's your open, stupid. And then Bill and I in house did an hour plus. But the thing is, is after we taped, a lot more information came out about the trade market, who was involved, the parameters on different deals from all these different teams. So I think there is enough to at least talk about it again. All right. So the first question you have is why for Dallas? Uh, we're hearing a lot of the same very predictable things is that he loves Jason Kidd, okay? Uh, Nico Harrison, who was with Nike, who's running the basketball op side of it, that there's a great relationship there, and that Luca signed off on this, and that Cuban signed off on it. And then, of course, this is an actual quote where they referenced that they have a different culture than the Nets. Okay. He also said that he's uh, ecstatic. He said that about going to Boston as well. Um Here's my question to all that. Maybe it's all true. Maybe it is a different culture that's somehow better. I don't know. But if he couldn't buy in with Durant, if he didn't feel like he owed Durant just something, at least for the end of this stretch, I mean, you realize they were like, right before Durant got hurt again, they were 18 and two. Like Durant was going to start for the All-Star East. Uh, I don't know who would have been left out with all of that. He was going to... um you know, being the MVP conversation. I mean, unfortunately, predictably, Durant got hurt again, but they had kind of figured it out. They weren't overwhelming favorites, but it started to feel like maybe Brooklyn can be good enough to come out of a packed East, the, the top of the East at least stack, right? Um, so if Kyrie didn't have some element of like, this is a guy that we set out on this plan to try to figure out, you know, four years ago, if he didn't feel some some level of like, hey, I owe Durant something. Can anybody feel like because of some relationship, minor or major one, because a lot of these are passing, right? Like, oh yeah, he loves Jason Kidd. Yeah, How long have you guys hung out? Oh, never? Okay. Got it. 
then if then if he's willing to move on from Durant this quickly, and again, the report on Friday was that he, there was a principal issue. I think it was very clear that Kyrie was upset that the contract offer, which by the way, the contract offer was stacked. They just wanted to, you know, play in fucking basketball games. I know, which is, that's just a crazy thought. And Kyrie didn't want to do it, so he didn't sign it. And then he threatened to opt out and sign the mid-level so that he could go to the Lakers. And then that was weird because on Monday they were saying he was definitely going to do it and then he didn't do it on Tuesday. I mean, I went back over the timeline of just the net stuff alone, like just going AWOL, not telling anybody where he is, saying that he didn't want to get vaccinated, which is a whole nother dispute through all sorts of people on social media. I'm not even interested in taking either side with that one. Um, and then just like straight up missing, like not telling anybody what was going on. Uh, they get Nash fired. Jacques Vaughn saying they allowed me to coach them, which is like the biggest cell phone ever. And then just decides again on Friday, as you would think this team would be gearing up for some kind of run. Uh, he wasn't interested. He wasn't interested in being a part of it because of his contract situation and his contract situation alone. He can be about all these other things and this enlightened dude that none of us can understand. He's smarter than the rest of us. The guy wanted to make sure he was in a better position to go ahead and get his money. All right. Uh, and that's why I thought maybe this the next level of drama would be avoided for Kyrie. You know, in a weird way, I was like, man, it's been kind of quiet lately. It's been kind of quiet for a while and he's playing really well. And now he's going to be an all-star starter. And, you know, maybe he can ride this out, see what happens with the team and then hits the market, you know, because it's weird how quickly we can forget and how quickly things can change. And now Dallas is saying a lot of the same things that you've heard elsewhere. Like, nah, it'll be different here. It'll be different here. Okay, so let's look in the market. Uh, Apparently the Lakers did offer up the 27 and 29 first round picks. I haven't heard whether reading it or anything else on what was involved with the protection. Because if they're protected, then this is different. Because then it was like, wait, the Lakers actually did make that offer? Well, the problem is if there wasn't a third team, I don't think you could bring Westbrook back and play with Durant. It's the whole reason he ended up leaving in the first place in Oklahoma City. He didn't want to play with him anymore. So I don't know that you can do that to Durant because then you still have now a Durant issue. Although you'd have to think that even Durant, as faithful as he was to the friendship with Kyrie, even he at this point would be like, okay, you know, this dude wanted out. Like, all right, let me just try to see what happens this season. We've got these other pieces with Dinwiddie, with Dorian Finney-Smith. Um, Durant's not going to care about the draft picks or whatever, but they get the one pick in the two seconds. So did the Lakers actually offer up unprotected first in 27 and 29 and Westbrook? Or was Westbrook on its own just not enough because they couldn't find the third team to facilitate that too because they didn't want Westbrook back with Durant? I know there was also reports that they wanted Max Christie and Austin Reeves in this, but I've got to know the protection on those because then I'd be a little surprised if the Lakers just went straight up unprotected. And I thought we had a ton of information in a very short amount of time about what everybody else's offers were, which... I think for the Lakers, it may have been motivated to like, let's make sure we get this out there. So LeBron and the players, because apparently the divide was the players wanted to trade for Kyrie, uh, LeBron specifically, and the front office didn't actually want to do that, which I can understand not wanting to give up unprotected in 27-29 for, for a guy that doesn't guarantee you anything. As well as Kyrie has played, we're just going through this again. I don't think that's a great bet to make that kind of investment with. And if you're the Lakers, too, you're one of the few franchises that probably wants to keep some of these picks after getting ready so many in the New Orleans deal for AD because that next guy that's upset, that's a major player that decides he wants to follow in the LeBron void and and be the marquee for the Lakers in in you know the next half of this decade. You may go like, what? why do we get rid of our picks for somebody that's a bad bet? But however... Uh, LeBron tweeted out 
maybe it's me, which the translation is, it's definitely not me, because uh, he wanted everybody to know that. But he's been doing this a bit more where he's trying to separate himself from the influence of the front office. He was asked about uh, Kyrie on Saturday, and part of the quote was, I don't speak for the front office. I think a lot of that has to do with the Westbrook trade, to be honest with you. So then Phoenix apparently was interested. Uh, they offered Chris Paul, which if you look at the contract, after this year, it's $60 million, 30 and 30 but only $15 million of it's guaranteed for the following season, not this season. And then that has to be decided on in June of this year, June of 23. And then the next $30 million for the fourth year of that deal is June of 24. So it was like th- it was four years, 120, which was a lot more than people thought that Sarver would go with Paul. But the back years weren't guaranteed. The problem is if you're trading for Chris Paul, even if you think he's declining a bit, you have to figure at least guaranteeing the first of those two years, right? Um, and then it's Jay Crowder, but then it was only one pick. And the, the conversation apparently was they wanted the three picks from Phoenix. I don't care what you think of Kyrie at this point. Like, he's he's not a three unprotected first guy. He just isn't. So uh, Phoenix apparently was out very quickly after making that offer. Apparently, the Clippers were in on this. Uh, Luke Kennard's deal and Terrence Mann. I've liked Terrence Mann at times. Uh, you're not trading Norman Powell at all. I'd rather have Norman Powell just straight up than Kyrie. I know he's not as good of a player, but. It's just way less of a hassle. Uh, I guess a first and two swaps from the Clippers, but that wasn't enough. Now, the other element of the story that made it made it public of why the Lakers deal with the unprotections may not have happened anyway and didn't have as much to do with Westbrook is that Josiah, the owner of the Nets, was like, look, I don't want him to go to L.A. Now, there were different descriptions of how this did or didn't go down. I had read straight up. He didn't want it to happen. There was also other people reported he preferred not to send him to the Lakers. I have to think, as upset as you could be at Kyrie, and I think there's no one more justified in being annoyed with a basketball player than Joe Sy, uh, I'd have to imagine that you wouldn't be so spiteful that you would cost your franchise an extra asset just because you wanted to send him to Dallas instead of the Lakers. Um, I'm sure it was part of it. If it was a cherry on top type of thing, fine. But I still would have to know what the protections were. And again, I just thought this was really interesting that all of us had this information hours after the trade actually happened, which is kind of strange that it was that thorough. So back to the Mavericks. Um, You know, a lot of the Mavs fans, I know what you're doing. Every other fan base has done it too, is you're just going to lie to yourself and be like, this is going to be awesome. Maybe it will be for a little while, right? I mean, that's the whole point. It's the whole reason we had all these teams even trying is that the guy is still really good. Uh, maybe they owed it to Luca, promised Luca something. I don't know the perfect fit with Luca. Like sometimes when I watch them, I go, it's clear there's a massive talent drop off and he needs that next guy. And Brunson was really good, was really good in the minutes where Luca wasn't in there, but was also good at creating off of Luca, which is also kind of what you need in today's game. Um, Christian Wood, I'm not necessarily a huge fan, but then at other times, it's like these long shooting options, guys that can switch defensively. So maybe that was like, maybe they actually were creating the best four around Luca for what you needed with him. But then you'd be like, okay, well, how talented are they? Their big turnaround last year was their defense just became incredible in like the second half of the season. Uh, this year has not been the same. Uh, probably a couple different reasons for that one. So, when you look at Luca, you're like, okay, well, you got to do something for him. You got to add something else. And I guess that's what they just tried to do here. But I wouldn't, I wouldn't ever do it. 
with Kyrie. Now, I've also heard, well, worst case scenario is it doesn't work out and he just walks. Now, granted, they could do a two-year extension around $80 million. Kyrie actually gets a $2 million trade kicker in all this. Like, there should be some rule against that. Like, oh, and you get a $2 million bonus. As if that's written into the contract if the team trades you. Like, well, if you trade me, you got to do a 15% kicker. And it's like, what if you are just a massive distraction for every month you're with the organization and you want out multiple times and we still have to trade you the or give you that trade bonus? Uh, yep, that's what that's what happened there. Now, a player can turn that down if he wants, but I don't think he's going to uh, with that. one. So because um, Anthony Davis did after reports that he wasn't going to, which is weird that he just magically let four and a half million dollars go away. So um there was a thought here with Dallas when, again, Mavs fans are going to talk themselves into this. Uh, this is not new here. Where it's like, okay, well, if it doesn't work out, and I don't know what doesn't work out means, just losing basketball games and not advancing in the West, that would be like the best case scenario of this not working out because he's just a bad bet. It's a bad bet. It's a bad partnership. I mean, maybe he keeps his shit together for the next 30 plus games because he wants a four-year max contract. Now, again, he can do a two-year extension with Dallas now or he do four years this summer. Uh, but if he walks, then I've seen because of the Finney Smith trade and because of uh, Dinwiddie that they have max slot space, right? Max salary cap space. Dallas, you've done this before. And here's the weird thing. Dallas has whiffed historically in the past, whether it was Darren Williams or Dwight Howard or we had eight years ago a DeAndre Jordan hostage situation. I was going back and reading this stuff this morning. It was like one guy described DeAndre Jordan as like setting the franchise back years. That ended up being one of those deals where like, thank God we didn't get him that year. Uh, because when it went south for him, it went south pretty quickly towards the end of the contract. So Dallas, who you would think would actually always be a really good free agent destination for a bunch of different reasons, no state taxes. Uh, remember Cuban, who used to be like the guy was like, I want the visitor's locker room to be awesome. He was putting Xboxes in each and every locker for the visiting guys because he wanted to use it as a recruiting tool to show you how much basketball mattered to the organization. And none of that shit ever worked. Like, they actually have a really bad track record with cap space. Because I don't know why, because cap space is the most overrated asset that everybody talks about in the NBA. I used to believe in it all the time. I'd look at every single contract and be like, oh, they made this trade. And now they're going to have all this cap space. And cap space is stupid because you don't know who's going to take it. And for most of the teams that have it and hoard it, they end up not getting to use it on the guys that they're actually targeting. And Dallas, for whatever reason, I wouldn't even like, I don't look at Dallas as like, 20 to 15 other franchises where it's like you can have all the cap space you want. Nobody's going to go there. Dallas, you think, would be a destination. Um, it's not a great free agent class. Maybe you could do some other flexible stuff, but that's not how you should be doing the math on this when you give up a pick and you give up two good rotation players where it's like, well, if he walks, we have cap space. The weirdest thing out of this whole deal is what if it what if they like go to the Western Conference Finals and Kyrie's terrific and there's no issues and there's no issues enough where then you have a front office going, it is us. Because that way you're like, we figured it out. We're the guys. The worst case could actually be that it goes really well this year and you give them four years because then it's not going to be smooth sailing the next four years. I will bet any amount of any fucking money with anybody that that's not going to be smooth sailing for four years because he's incapable of it. But again, we just had what? The Mavs, the Lakers, the Clippers, the Suns. And that's just what we know of in the matter of a couple days. There's clearly more teams that were in on this that we don't know about. I, there's plenty of stuff I know I don't know. And so I'm sitting here going, I can't believe there'd be a market for him. And yet there's like a handful of teams that wanted this guy immediately. So maybe I'm wrong.
This year, the only app you need at your Super Bowl party is FanDuel, America's number one sports book. Download FanDuel now and use the promo code Ryan so you can bet Super Bowl 57 with a no-sweat first bet. You'll get up to $3,000 back in bonus bets if your first bet doesn't win. FanDuel lets you bet on everything from the money line to point spreads to who will score a touchdown. All right, so we gave out some prop bets. Uh, the payouts aren't great on these first two. First play, first down. Usually everybody's so hyped up. I don't know. Um, will there be a successful fourth down? I think with the way the game is played today, that's a good one. Kansas City over-unders on third downs. Uh, we took the over on that one. I think it's at five and a half. Hurts over-under 240 and a half yards. We took the under. And if you wanted a really big payout, it's plus 800 or plus 700 if you inverse first half lead with who wins the game. So Philly first half win. Uh, Kansas City wins the game. All of this on a top-rated sportsbook app that's safe, secure, and super easy to use. Best of all, you get paid your winnings instantly. So join FanDuel today with the promo code RYAN, R-Y-E-N, to claim your no-sweat first bet on Super Bowl 57. Make every moment more with FanDuel, official sportsbook partner of the NFL. Must be 21 and older and present in select states. First online real money wager. Only $10 deposit required. Refund issued with non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in 14 days. Restrictions apply. See full terms at FanDuel.com forward slash sportsbook. This episode is supported by State Farm. So look, a little rock hit your dude's windshield on the highway. And at first you're like, what is that? I'm like, oh, it's just a little mark. Nope. Now by the end of the ride, it's a big crack. And it had been a while. So I check out the State Farm app. I go, hey, this is what happened. And the funny thing is, is I was like, do I want to go app first or do I call old school guy? Probably should call. I was like, let's check out the app. Not only did it take a minute to get done, they set up the glass replacement. They told me the estimate ahead of time, said, you want to go ahead with it? And I was like, now I understand it's all in front of me, all done. I don't even have to talk to anybody. That's how efficient the insurance game has become. But really the only words you need to remember are like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. State Farm has options to fit your unique insurance needs, meaning you can talk to your agent to choose the coverage you need, have coverage options, to protect the things you value most, file a claim right on the State Farm mobile app, just like I did. And even reach a real person when you need to talk to somebody. The app was so good, I didn't even need to do that. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Learn more at statefarm.com. Anthony Slater, The Athletic, covers the Warriors. I guess some Kings, too. We wouldn't be giving the full resume, right, without the Kings love? Did a Thunder story the other day also. You know, I'm, I'm trying to find the teams on the rise because the team I cover, you know, as, as we're looking at stock reports, is kind of on the downturn. Okay, so let's start there. Uh, you know, the, the Curry injury, I felt like, was it the Minnesota game where he kicked out his leg hunting for the foul, which I feel like he's doing a Denver, little bit more now. Denver, Zeke Najee on the wing. He kind of, he got a four, it was a four-point play. But right, yeah. but it's it's one of those calls I hate. And so he did it, and then he got a real knee-to-knee. So that was the Minnesota-Denver game. They lost back-to-back. They didn't play Draymond. They didn't play Clay in the second game. And I was like, that probably wasn't worth it. And then you see the injury Saturday, and he's out a month again. So what's up? Yeah, it's a very weird injury. Like they were having trouble, like not only identifying it, but they still don't know exact timetable because it's not common in the league. It is the ligament that I guess strengthens and stabilizes like the tibia to the to fibula. And, you know, again, I'm very amateur at this, but uh, the, I, and I think I saw Jeff Stotts is the only one I, I, I've seen that has found a comparative injury. And it was Marcus Smart in 2016 and he missed. Uh, 37 days, 18 games. Um, I, I know, you know, they've kind of messaged out maybe a hope that it's just through the all-star break, which is only five more games and they have an eight-day break. 
I think it's going to be longer than that. I, I think that there's going to be a pretty substantial amount of missed time coming up for Steph. Um, and, you know, so that makes this stretch probably the, the pivotal stretch of their season. I kept saying, you know, all they need to do is have everybody back and put together two good weeks. And you're going to look up at the standings going, okay, you know, we have to take them seriously again. Now, uh, it's it's the reverse. Uh, you know, I'd still watch them quite a bit. I would say there's some great clay moments, but it still doesn't feel like it's all the way there. Um, certain nights of Draymond, I have no idea what he's doing. Um, and certain nights, he's, he's a dominant force again, too. Um, you know, I like some versions of the bench, but then there's other nights where I don't. I think Poole's like completely out of control more often than he's than he's locked in. So feel free to correct me. You're seeing it every single night, but even the collective of them, they're still not close. Like they're still not close to being as good as they were last year. No, uh, I would throw Andrew Wiggins in that boat of like, what's going on? Because he right. was better than he was even in the playoffs probably the first month he was shooting 45 percent from three um you know kind of giving you that two-way ability then he strains a groin which he he's never missed in a, a significant amount of time in his career he misses 15 games gets very sick within that and since he's been back he's been like you know pretty bad honestly and he's at this point probably their second best or at least you know second most important player um and then you mentioned pool you know the you last year they lost curry remember when marcus smart falls on him this was early march uh, there was concern they would really tumble down the standings. They held on for the three seed late last year because Jordan Poole turned into like Damian Lillard for a month. I mean, if you just look numbers wise, he averaged like 25 per game on, I think he hit 42% of his threes in March and April on like nine per game. I'm talking like high volume. He led the entire NBA in March and April with like 85 threes over a 21 game stretch. That guy is not there this year. I mean, it's been, you mentioned out of control, high level turnovers. I don't know if he still is, but he was leading the NBA in total turnovers at one point. He gets blocked at the rim a lot. He's scattered. Um, maybe the fact that he is now going to be handed the ball, right? Like starting point guard will jolt him to life again. They tried to put him in the starting lineup recently because their belief is he's just more focused when he's starting. You know, he's one of those young guys. He signed a big deal. It's like, why am I not starting? Well, they tried it. Um, so maybe he can come to life and they can do what they did late last season, which included, you know, at the end of late last season, it was Clay had a 35 point game, a 41 point game. Like they, they do need some of that. But um, if not, then they, they could be in danger of being like the 11 seed by the time Steph gets back. Yeah, the Clay thing, I, you know, I think he's been better than he was at the close of last year. And he has these moments where you like get really excited. But I still feel like there are stretches when he's in the game where he's more invisible than he was ever in previous years. Like you were still always freaked out about him. And now I, I, you know, it's not like people just don't want to guard clay anymore, but I, I feel like he goes missing a little bit more on the court than any time I can ever remember. Well, I mean, he looks, you know, and he's 32, 33, he's coming off an Achilles in an ACL. Like this is just the stage of his career he's at, you know, I think he, um, he wants that all-star, you know, version of himself back. He, it's I think led to at times bad shot selection because he's trying to like summon who he used to be. But I think you know the realistic part of us should just understand that's never coming back, and he should be the fifth best player on this team, even if he's being paid like the second most. Um, but to me, it's more on Wiggins. It's more on Pool. Like they matter more in the stretch coming up because I think they have a level that they haven't got to. I think w what you're saying about Clay is correct, but it's also understandable. Like this is who Clay should be 
Steve Kerr's even talked about it. He views Clay as like a three-four now, not like you know he used to be maybe the best two guard in the league. Now he's like a kind of an undersized like wing, like you can maybe even downsize him into a power forward because he he doesn't guard you know scores anymore like you know elite level guys on the wing. That's Wiggins. That's Dante Divincenzo. That's even Kaminga. Some. Yeah, it's funny with Kaminga when he is into it. You know, I still have these moments. Where I'm like, I don't know if you can give up on him yet as we look ahead of the deadline just a couple of days away and, and trying to figure out what they're going to do. Um, give us give us your now, <laughs> you know, ha- past the halfway part of another season with Kaminga, Wiseman, and, and I don't even know if we put Moody in this group, but go ahead. Yeah, I mean, lottery pick. So, um, yeah, Kaminga is the one they seem to have hit on. And I would agree with you. I think he's done a lot of really good stuff uh, starting. I remember there was a game in Dallas, maybe 20 games into the season. They they told him pregame, like, pick up Luka full court. And he did. And, like, he bothered Luka much more than Wiggins did in that game or anybody else. And he scored a little bit. You know, they are second to last in the league in paint points per game. And he's like the one guy on their team because, you know, Wiseman's unusable at this point to them that pressures the rim. And I, I, I don't want to say he's untouchable at the deadline. Cause I think like some home run deal was, was put at their doorstep because some other franchise was like, you know, we think Jonathan Kamega will be Paul George in three years. And we just want that. So here's, you know, whatever this package. Sure. I'm sure he could be pried away, but he, is the one young guy that even the veterans believe like, yeah, he could be in a playoff rotation. You know, Draymond has talked about his point of attack defense, which they're missing without Gary Payton this season. It's like a weapon, you know, go, you know, pick up LaMelo ball when we're playing the Hornets at half court and just like throttle their offense a little bit. So I like what he's doing and what he's becoming. The other two, I mean, look, you saw it the other night, they played t- a 10 man rotation which included like, you know, Ty Jerome was on a two-way. You've seen Anthony Lamb has been a heavy part of the rotation and still Moses Moody and James Wiseman are getting DMPs. Just don't have trust of the coaching staff. I mean, the front office still wants to believe from what I've gathered, like, you know, if you give them an incoming call and want to talk Wiseman and Moody at the deadline, like they will answer, they will discuss it. But from what I've heard that the offers have been like, hey, we'll take them off your hands. Like, Maybe we'll toss you a second round pick. And they're like, no, like, you know, they they drafted these guys high. They're not going to give up so quick. So I think there's just such a, a a troubling imbalance for them at the deadline of like, you know, they value the young guys much more than the market does. So how does a deal fit? Yeah, just, just punt on a guy you took number two who's in a more difficult situation. You know, I watched the Denver game when he finally gets some run and he's kind of like an almost alert for me where I'll be like, okay, you know, let me, let me lock into his, his sub patterns here. And, uh, I'll give him this. He tries, like, it's not him not trying, you know, it's just that when he tries, he's late. He's, he's just still thinks he's still out there thinking instead of playing instinctively. And it's a, I don't know. You start, you wonder if like, hey, maybe it's just who he's going to be. But if it means you're getting a second rounder from somebody for him, and I, we had Hollinger on, was like, I'll be shocked if they don't trade him because of the tax bill. But if there's one team, I don't think you ever worry about with the tax bill. It's this team. So I, I just don't know how you pun on this three years in, which was going to be a challenging situation anyway. But yeah, I mean, I'm getting to the point now with him as a player where I go, I know what he's capable of. And if he could just have anybody, I'm sure they talked to him about it. Stop bringing the ball down and getting stripped by him. That guy has more stuff at the rim 
that doesn't get done, like for somebody that should never have that challenge because of his size and athleticism, whatever his ratio would be for having stuff just swatted at the rim or people stripping him, it's it's awful. So, it doesn't seem like it takes a lot to strip him. You know, it seems like if you touch the ball, it can like slip out of the hands. And I mean, that comes on rebounds too, right? When a rebound will hit it, and it'll just bounce off. I mean, the, the number of times where it's like, he'll look like he has some seal and a great entry pass. And it's like a one step or one dribble and then up to the rim. And you're like, nope, he got stripped again. And it's bad. I mean, it's just the one against Denver. He brought the ball down again. It's like, what, why are you doing this? Like, stop bringing the ball down. Um, but he can't, he can't seem to take it out of his game. I don't know. Yeah, he, don't So know. he's played like, 50 games in the NBA like that, like 50 something might, might be up at 60. Like he's played like Keegan Murray's played 50 games. Like he's still, you know, a rookie in a lot of ways. And I think that leads to like what you're talking about. You like throw him out against Denver. Well, he hasn't been in an NBA rotation in a month and a half. So yeah, he is slow. He does. I will say over the course of his career, when he does get a eight, nine game stretch, typically he looks a little bit better towards the end of it. Um, but the body has not held up well. I mean, some of them are just freak accidents, but uh, look, that is what it is. Like over three years, if you're only healthy enough to play about half an NBA season, that's not a good sign. And then the coaching staff has just been unwilling to play. I'm unwilling to trust them. And, and that's a very difficult thing for a young guy on a win now team. And like, it's really, I think this is, I think we could say now it's, it's bad that he went to the Warriors. I think early in, you know, when he got drafted, we all thought maybe this is very good for a young raw prospect center, getting like a winning environment, learn a lot of the stuff you need to learn. Maybe it'll materialize into something good. I would say it would have been better for him if Charlotte got him. Let's say Warriors took LaMelo, Charlotte took Wiseman, and then he just, he played a bunch, you know, in, in, in a losing environment, you could say, but at least he just played. I think he'd be better in year three personally. Yeah. I think we've done this segment probably three times already, so we don't need to spend yeah. more time on it. Uh, so what do you think happens here before the deadline? Not much. Um, I, you know, I think Anthony Lamb is probably converted at some point. Uh, and, you know, there was a thought maybe they'd move off the Jermichael Green contract, just it saves tax. It would open up a roster spot for, for a Lamb. But Jermichael Green's been pretty good in their rotation recently, so I'm not even sure that happens. If a team want, you know, I could see... Biggest thing I could see happen is maybe a, a young guy for a young guy swap. You know, let's say Detroit wanted to throw a Sadiq Bay for for Moody or Wiseman or, you know, PJ Washington from Charlotte. Like maybe something like that. If 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 teams just want to swap like disappointing, you know, rookie contract guy. But I don't I don't see some big swing like, oh, suddenly they're getting a OG Ananobi for for a big package of young guys and picks. Yeah, the OG Ananobi market. Man, I mean, again, I don't know if he gets traded or not, but the number of teams that I've heard in on him, and it's they're pretty substantial offers, like two firsts and a player. Like, oh, okay, this team is in on him, two firsts, a player, two firsts, and a player. So it sounds like Toronto can sort through a lot. Um, what do you think? I mean, people are acting like he is like the missing piece for Memphis, the missing piece for the Pelicans. Like, do you, Are you of that belief? I like him. I've always liked him, but I don't think he's he's that. Like, I get why Cleveland wants to figure out that wing spot of that closing group. You know, Chetty's probably the best player out of, I like him better than Levert and Okoro. Although, if you look at Levert and Okoro's game logs, you, it would trick you into thinking that those guys are knockdown three-point shooters. Um, because the last two months, because you know, again, the only reason I knew is because I was looking it up the other day, uh, and I talked about it on the podcast, but I don't 
think I think for a Cleveland team like I have real hopes for you know uh, they're young they're new so usually that doesn't work out in the playoffs but that third guy is going to have wide open shots during the playoff games like that's the shot that you're giving up and if you can upgrade that is OG worth two firsts and a player that you know maybe you don't really like um, but it just feels like so many different teams are in on him and that would be also upgrading the Dylan Brooks thing which I think is becoming a real problem for Memphis and I think Memphis could probably throw you a player from somebody that you've recently drafted that might be more appealing than the player that Cleveland would be flipping to you. Because I just don't know that Toronto would want Levert. Memphis is thinner than last season. And I've had this discussion with Warriors people, but it's like, you know, you trade Melton, who even during the playoff series last year, a lot of Warriors people were like, well, they should be playing him more. Like he's been good on staff. He's, you know, he bothers Poole. Um, they gave him away for almost nothing. And then Kyle Anderson leaving. So I just think they do. They're at the point if they really want to contend this season, they do need to upgrade. I don't know if that's Ananobi, but I'd agree with you, especially with this. The Dylan Brooks contract, you know, this summer, too, is you you could get off that if, if uh, you're the Grizzlies. Yeah, I think the part that's kind of funny about Memphis is like the Danny Green updates, you know, that, oh, you know, Danny, when they get Danny Green back, when they did. Yeah. Um, I don't, I don't know. <laughs> I would say when I watched the Philly games the last couple of years, I mean, maybe it's enough shooting. Maybe the shooting splits enough that it doesn't really matter. But I, I thought he looked pretty limited um, in comparison to earlier versions of Danny Green. Well, so he's also 35 and he like pretty devastatingly ripped his knee up. I mean, like that was a really bad playoff injury. And he came back after what was it? It's only been 10 months. Like thirty five year old who ten months ago really ripped his knee up. Like it's 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 so unwise to believe like that's the rotation piece that changes the the puzzle. Yeah, it, it just it feels like of all the names, you know, you'll hear like okay, a bunch of guys from Atlanta could be possibilities um, for a bunch of different reasons. Some wanting contracts, some not wanting to play there. Um, you know, Collins. I don't think that's really any wrongdoing of his own. He's just been available forever. But yeah, I, I mean, I mentioned it with Bill, I think it was on the Sunday pod when we did the Kyrie stuff. It just was weird. Like if you kind of go through and again, I'm not a reporter, so I defer to you guys. Uh, you know, I don't. But in just, you know, BSing with people, it's like, oh, man, you know, like Toronto's going to have its its selection of offers because people are so hot on OG. And, you know, I don't even think Golden State could. I don't know, it depends if you want to go to another pick. But then you start talking about like, hey, usually it's three first for somebody who's at a different tier. You know, even DeJounte's at a higher tier than OG Ananobi. And you telling me I got to give you three firsts for OG Ananobi to beat the market? Like, I'll just go, all right, then I'm good. I'm not, I'm not interested. Yeah. And if, and if I'm roping it back to the Warriors, one of their issues in any type of potential trade is like the future money, like they don't want to add some like big contract that is committed beyond the season because look, they're going to have to get off a contract this summer. I mean, they're trying to shed money for next season. So uh, they're just not in the market to, to complicate the, their tax situation more. Yeah. And this is also somebody as well that doesn't have a great history of health and is owed. Although that number is fine, you know, eighteen six and nineteen two, or excuse me, 19, was, I should say twenty. It's part of why he's now. appealing. It's people, you know, it's it's like Pascal Siakam, for example, is like double that money. Yeah, that's not bad at all. I mean, especially where this whole thing's going to go. But his his history of games played is alarming. 
So then I'm factoring that in going, why am I giving up? So, all right, I want to do two more things before we go. We're good on that. I think we covered the OG and an OB topic. Uh, what do you think happens to Draymond this offseason? Where do you think the Draymond story has gone from the beginning of the year punching pool to the way he's played this year to, you know, everything that the, the whole Draymond big picture thing on the future? I think he's that. done everything behind the scenes he could have to like uh, recuperated a lot of his, I don't want to say leverage, but just standing within the locker room. Uh, he's been really good behind the scenes. He's been... Um, getting his leadership voice back. He's admitted that it was difficult for him early in the season to yell at anybody or do his normal Draymond stuff because he just, you know, kind of lost that. Um, but he has gotten that back. I, there's been a few situations recently where he, he he's kind of lit the team up on the bench in the locker room, all that. Um, he's played pretty well. You know, I'd say he's in. If they were better, he'd probably be a top-tier defensive player of the year candidate. He isn't what he used to be, but I think he's still worth the money considering all he does. Uh, he has the player option. I think it's going to matter. How does this season end? Does this core look like, you know, they're still able to compete for titles? Um, and I, it does seem like ownership front office is going to look at that as a, a more skeptical view than maybe uh, the unbiased observer. And then also like, and I'm sure we're about to get into this, but like, where does Bob Myers go? I think has a domino effect to a Draymond to a Steve Kerr, maybe down the line and, and to others. So um, I think just so much of what's about to happen matters. Like, how does this season end? Okay, so that's um, that's my next question, kind of my final yeah. one. So uh, you, along with Marcus Thompson and Sam Amick, for The Athletic, uh, a deep dive on the future of Bob Myers, whose contract is up this summer. You know, there have been... I would say of the big, big rumors that I've heard over my career, the ones that are always wrong are the ones where it's like, you know, this guy's actually going down there to run that whole thing. And this guy, you know, they're recruiting him to go down there. And then it'll never happen. It's like some ex-player or a coach that already has a relationship with this organization. And you'll hear about how this guy's going to get this sweetheart deal and kind of repair it. And the biggest one you've always heard is Bob Myers. Go back to L.A. Eventually he'll run the Lakers and this whole thing. So take us through the technical stuff, his contract and all that. And uh, a big decision for somebody who's as good at this as I've ever seen. Yeah. So, I mean, if we put in there, there's been somewhat of a divide or dispute, if you want to call it that, uh, at the top level of these salaries, which, as you know, like this isn't, you know, you just looked up OG Ananobi salary by typing like OG Ananobi salary in Google. I'm sure you cannot do that with executives. So it's a little bit more of a secretive world with incentives and, 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 and reasons for people to artificially pump up what they may or may not make. Joe Lacob is on record saying that Bob is a top three GM in the league. Bob Myers is in their, you know, the group, uh, you know, around Bob Myers does not believe that. They believe he's in like six, seven, eight range, um, you know, behind some of the guys who he's pretty clearly outperformed over the last decade. You could easily argue he should be the top paid GM in the league. So that is kind of the salary divide. And then, Beyond that, I would also say vision of the franchise is kind of up in the air as as this pivot to the next era is is pretty obviously going on behind the scenes. You know, and, and Bob was part of what I think was general consensus on some of these draft picks that were taken. But I'm talking more about the idea of let's use the draft picks. Let's have five basically teenagers or lower 20-year-olds with this roster transition toward the next era. And I think it's just Bob trying to decide, does he want to be part of what's going to go on down the line, which also probably includes 
trading away or at least letting walk some of these franchise legends. Um, we'll see. Uh, and, and I think that's what Bob is deciding this season. And his, his, all he's saying now is like, you know, the decision's not made. It, they're not very active negotiations right now. I think Bob just wants to see how this plays out and then, and then he's going to decide. And, and part of that is, does Joe at the end of the day say, you know what? Boom, here is the type of money that only Masai Ujiri makes. Yeah, I think the part about Bob, it's not just the evaluations and, you know, he'd be the first person to say he got lucky with some of it too because it's just, I mean, when it comes to the draft, a lot of this stuff, like you can have everybody that you trust and, hey, we're great at this, but, you know, sometimes you just have the wrong picks in the wrong years. And uh, I think his whole demeanor, his whole demeanor for a place, you know, it's not New York, it's not the Lakers, it's not even Boston, but it's it's a franchise that's mattered here for a really long time. And so with that, you're going to have drama and he's just drama free. He doesn't add to your drama. He's, he's somehow like a drama vacuum. Like he takes it away because his whole demeanor is like perfect for this job. And that's the part of him on top of all the other stuff. Like I think is so valuable when you have this person that's in charge, the face of the entire thing, as long as there's no animosity from like ownership at times where they can be like, hey, we're the ones all signing the checks. He's the one who's getting credit. And, you know, you never know how that's happened. I know that with other franchise too, there's, you know, the younger generation of like positioning themselves. But I've heard that Lakeup's son is actually like great to work with and that it's not. It's Both not, of them. There's two of right, them. That's and, right. Yeah. And I would agree. You know, they're, they're well liked and pretty well respected by people who work with them in the industry. I only hear good things uh, about both. You're right. I, sh I should have made sure I mentioned both. So I would say I don't hear the same with other franchises where there appears to be. It is uh, not Atlanta. Yeah. I'll just right. say that. Yeah. It's not Atlanta. So I don't know, man. I mean, it comes down to it. Like, Lake of, whenever, whenever I start thinking about like which way the decision would go, unless Bob wants a new challenge, which I would think at his age, he's still relatively young for this. I could see him going, give me a year to reset and then I'd want a new challenge because I think he's kind of built that way too. But I, don't, I just have a hard time believing that Lakeup was going to lose him over money. I just, I would. Yeah, I would. Some people who, you know, we talked to tons of people for this story, but some of the people who predicted like, look, this is the Joe is like the hard line negotiator. It's how he's become who he's become just in the business world. So like, you know, he's going to hardball it as much as he can. Bob on the other side, like that's kind of his specialty too, is, uh, you know, hard line negotiating when it comes to money. So their belief was at the end of the day, when it comes down to it, like he, you know, Joe will pay because Joe has always paid when it has mattered. Um, we, but you know, I just think, you know, if they flame out in the first round, if Steph's injury really lingers and maybe they go to the play-in and it's just, you know, exit from there, it could just feel like the end of an era. And I do know just part of what Bob is contemplating right now, and I think stretch it beyond Bob, part of what I think everybody around this organization is contemplating right now is just like, might be kind of towards the end of times. I mean, Steve's been on the record talking about like, you know, not to everyone kind of uses that, that last dance term, but they kind of already got the the cherry on top title, right? Last year was the legacy defining, cemented in. Nobody thought it was coming. Like every, I think all their main players, you know, stamped their Hall of Fame credential with that. And not to say you don't want to keep winning them if you can, but I do think there's a walk away point at some at some time. And I do think a lot of the people within this ride are wondering if it is soon. Okay. 
Anthony Slater, The Athletic. Check out that piece on Bob Myers if you get a chance. And uh, I guess we didn't do any Kings. I mean, we could. They lost two in a row. I mean, you know, no, give me, give me uh, being around them. Give me, I, I, we should do them. We should give them a little bit of love here. Yeah. So it's been really, f- honestly, refreshing. I remember I went to the uh, Kings Nets TNT game and it was their first TNT game since like 2018. And they were like, anybody in the organization you talked to was like, puffing their chest out like TNT is in the building tonight. And it was just fun. I was laughing to their face. Like, look, if I'm at a Warriors game, I have to tell them they're on TNT tonight. They're like, oh, we got a TNT game? Didn't know that tonight. And it was just like the difference and just, uh, you know, the I've been to 20 arenas probably this year and they have the best atmosphere on a nightly basis. It's like, you know, they're playing the 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 Nuggets on a Tuesday night and it's like right when tip off goes and a guy hits a three to open the game it's an explosion in the arena and it's like it usually a lot of these regular season arenas you need a close fourth quarter to bring that like almost playoff level vibe in an arena they have it in the first quarter which I've you know really enjoyed the beam stuff it's corny but it's really fun kind of um, you know Mike the Mike Brown just coaching resurgence I think taking so much of what he got from the Warriors not even stylistically, but I think just the vibe that Steve Kerr brings, the way he, you know, deals with the media, deals with players. I think he's at such a good place in his, you know, career and his profession. And he's putting that into place in Sacramento and it's working. And it's unlocked a lot of the players, which I don't know if you want to get into any, any of the players, but I think Monty McNair and Wes Wilcox did a really good job building with what their mission was, which was to win now, build around Sabonis and Fox. I mean, they made really good moves to, to, to I guess, do that. Yeah, I think that covers it. Um, would you pick them in the first round? Against- no, but I, okay. I wouldn't pick anybody in the West in the first round. I'm like down on the entire West at this point. Well, not Denver. Yeah, I've, you know, I've I've long been a Denver skeptic, but even the other, you know, I'm watching Jamal Murray look good the other day. I like the Bruce Brown, Caldwell Pope editions. I'm like, all right, I'm starting to, especially looking around, I'm starting to believe like, yeah, I guess they could come out of the West. Yeah, I think right. I would say whatever snapshot of the season we're in right now, like all of us that are watching everything, you you have to you have to feel good about Denver, especially with the defensive stats backing it up too. Like that was the big thing for me that I was always reluctant with, and now you compare them to the uncertainty with everybody else behind them. Like they're the they're the best bet at this point, and uh, I don't know, maybe that would change. If Memphis comes back and put together a run, having everybody healthy. Okay, now we can say goodbye to Anthony Slater because I want to make sure we get some Sacramento in there. Thanks, man. Next time, we'll talk Thunder. Perfect. This episode of the Ryan Rosilla Podcast is brought to you by McDonald's. McDonald's french fries changed my life. They taught me to want. They taught me the taste of anticipation. There's no wrong way to eat a french fry from McDonald's. Unless you're eating my french fries. Get your favorite McDonald's fries today. Mitchell Schwartz joins us, former NFL offensive lineman, specifically with the Kansas City Chiefs in that first Super Bowl run. What's up, man? Good to see you. Good to see you, too. Uh, You know, going back and looking at it, um, and we can go in a few different directions here, but like, how do you feel about the strengths, the weaknesses of Kansas City for your win against San Francisco, granted you weren't healthy and Fisher wasn't healthy in the Tampa game and kind of who they are now headed back to the third Super Bowl with this group. Yeah, I think looking back and and having that perspective, the offensive and defensive lines are such a big matchup. And so 
look into this specific one, you know, I think on paper, Philadelphia has the advantage on both sides of the ball. Um, you know, Kansas City's greatest advantage is obviously Mahomes and, you know, pairing that with Kelsey. And so you can overcome uh, a little bit of a, a downside, but we've seen in that Tampa Super Bowl in particular, if your offensive line isn't able to hold up to defensive pressure, uh, things can go south and they can go south really quickly. And so, you know, probably on paper in the San Francisco Super Bowl, you know, their defensive line would have had a slight advantage. You know, we had a pretty good offensive line, but they kind of dominated the NFL that year. They were the best defense and they had similar to what Philly has waves of guys. It's not just the starting four. And we were able to hold up pretty well. You know, they they did some good things early on. We gave a couple sacks for some uh, turnovers that were uncharacteristic. And eventually we kind of got our footing and were able to make hay in the fourth quarter. And I think this Super Bowl comes down to those matchups. And I think if Kansas City is able to kind of get to a stasis where you walk away and you don't say, well, Philly dominated up front, uh, either defensively or offensively. I think the advantage swings way in advantage of Kansas City. Um, and so that's going to be the the biggest thing for me to watch this week. What was it about the beginning of a game against the Niners front that obviously is really talented? Um, what, what happens in the beginning of a game that's this big where you're trying to go, okay, you know, are we just losing or are we confused or is Mahomes not connected to us? Like what happens when you feel like it's not going your way to start a game? Well, it's tricky because you only kind of know how you feel, how your individual matchup is going. And whenever there's disjointed offensive football, you know, it's not that everybody's getting beat and that we all suck. Uh, it's usually one guy gets beat and then a different guy gets beat and then a different guy gets beat. And so over 10 plays, you maybe think to yourself, oh, I only had one bad play, but we're not doing anything offensively. And everyone feels that way. So you don't really feel like you're the problem or that you're the one that's causing things to go bad. Um, but there's definitely like a feeling out period because obviously San Fran's in the other conference and so you don't play them a ton and you go up against, you know, Nick Bosa and Eric Armstead and DeForest Buckner, D Ford, all these guys. And you almost have to get used to their speed and their physicality. Uh, you'd like to think that they have to get used to yours, but them being that good, you know, you kind of have to get used to how quick is he getting off the ball? Where are my uh, angles going to be? How deep do I need to set? How much uh, do I need to, you know, kind of anchor down and expect the bull rush? And you don't want to have a bad staff and you don't want to uh, come out not firing. But, you know, luckily the coaching staff kind of trust the guys to uh, self-adjust. And, you know, there are a couple of times where you get beat and you go to the line of scrimmage or you go back to the sideline and your coach isn't cussing you out, but he's saying like, hey, what happened? I just want to know. Like, all right, he beat you with a swim move. Uh, maybe you can be a little better with your feet this time. Maybe you can do this. And so um, it takes a little bit of skill to, you know, kind of self-adjust on the fly uh, throughout the course of a game and especially against guys that good and in a matchup that, you know, if you lose, uh, you know, it's pretty damaging. So it's it's difficult. And one of the cool things, I think, after the fact that you saw, um, you know, Pat going up and down the sidelines throughout the game, just like, hey, guys, let's keep going. Let's stick together. Let's trust each other. Um, just kind of having that other guy pick you up so you don't kind of retreat into a bit of a shell. When uh, you saw some of the stuff going around, because I was looking specific for the uh, the Bosa-Lane Johnson matchup, and then all of a sudden everybody had these slow motions of Lane Johnson, where I still think slow motion is the worst thing to look at when you're looking for penalties, because in slow motion it looks like he is getting... I don't think this is that rare. I don't I don't think it's that unique to Lane Johnson as somebody knowing his quarterback's cadence better than the defensive line, so he's getting off early. In slow motion, it looks like he's getting off a week early, but in real time, it's kind of this 
Like this isn't a marching band. It's usually the O line is kind of collectively like somebody sneaking a little early here, and the refs just allow it all the time. And people felt like they discovered this brand new flaw with offensive line play that I thought was totally overrated because of the slow motion. Yeah, it's been a bad few weeks for offensive line play on social media uh, with the false start stuff and with holding. And people don't necessarily know what to look for. I mean, like you said, if you go slow mo, yeah, maybe Lane's leaving like a tick early. Uh, they also haven't called it in five years. So maybe it's not a fucking penalty if the refs don't ever call it. You know, maybe that's possibly how it goes. Uh, if it was illegal and they determined it was illegal, they would call it illegal, uh, but they're not. And so they're allowing offense linemen to do it. And uh, it's always the offensive tackle. You know, we're the ones that kind of need to kick out and we're the ones that need to get some depth. And we want to time up the snap count as, as good as possible. In Cleveland with Joe, you know, we tried to do it where we were leaving at the same time. So if we were both slightly early, it didn't necessarily look slightly early because you had two guys doing it. So the rest could be like, yeah, well, it's synchronized. So they must be onto something. Uh, same with, you know, Philly Lane does it a little bit better than my does, but they both do it uh, to a good advantage. When one guy does it, and this is the Jacksonville uh, Chargers game that Bosa was freaking out about, you know, it was just the right tackle. And so it looks a little bit dramatic when it's just one guy. Um, but I would just counter, like I said, the refs aren't calling it. So we can slow things down. We can say whatever we want. I guarantee that opposing coaches are sending in the film and saying these guys are offsides. I guarantee going into the week, the opposing coaches are telling the refs, hey, watch out for, you know, 65 on Philly. He's going to be a little bit offsides. And if the refs thought that he was offsides, they would call the flag. So they're not. And I think we need to turn the page and just accept that this is legal and it's allowed. Yeah, it just looks way worse in slow motion. And so I felt like, I don't know. It's weird when people think they've discovered this thing. And then it's like, I'm this, I'm this person that discovered it. And now everybody's going to like retweet these videos or whatever. It's like the same. It actually happens way more with the zero clock. And I don't know why this needs to be explained anymore. But like when the clock is at zero, the ump then looks down. And if the ball isn't snapped, it's that extra beat and they'll call it. But if the ball is snapped after the zero and it's kind of like this grace period, which Canel explained to me years ago, he goes, they just tell you, hey, this is how we're going to call it. Like if you get it off at zero, we're not calling it. And then everybody wants to screen grab double zeros and the ball not being snapped and think they found something where it's like, that's just not the way that it's called. So anyway, I'm spending too much time on some of the officiating stuff playing out on social media. So I will move on. Uh, so you think it's it's a significant advantage for Philadelphia's D-line against this whole line? Because I think that's one of the most impressive things I've seen from a front office is rebuilding this offensive line for Kansas City in such a short amount of time, you know, post you and Eric and having like unbelievable talent and then finding a way to like build it back up again in a really quick way. Like that's not normally what happens and they've invested a lot and I think all those guys are pretty good. So I think that particular matchup is just an advantage in Philadelphia's favor. I don't think it's a significant one, but I think when you add on the Philly O-line versus the Kansas City D-line, that's when both those matchups combined become a distinct advantage for Philly. Um, but no, I mean, I mean, if you looked at the individual matchups of Andrew Wiley and Orlando Brown against Hassan Reddick, Brandon Graham, Josh Sweat, uh, potentially, you know, Quinn if he's healthy, I think you would say you'd probably like all those defensive ends against the Kansas City guys. Uh, you know, when you're looking on the inside, obviously Tooney is a good player. Creed Humphrey has become a really good center. Uh, Trey Smith as a right guard has is, is played some good ball, probably better as a run blocker than a pass blocker. Uh, but again, you look at Fletcher Cox, Javon Hargrave, Linval Joseph, and Dominican Sue. Um, those are all really good players. And so you could say that 
it's even. I, I personally wouldn't give that advantage strictly to the Chiefs. I think best case scenario in the Chiefs direction is that's even. And then Philadelphia's defensive ends have the advantage over Casey's offensive tackles. Um, so that's where I lean, uh, at least on paper. And, you know, this gets into the kind of the fun thing for me to watch, which is what does Coach Reed to give help? Um, he did an awesome job uh, when I was there, uh, especially our Super Bowl run of scheming and help for us at, at tackle. Um, and it doesn't have to be, you know, chip help. It doesn't have to be a guy hitting your guy all the time. But there's a lot of ways to make defensive ends feel uncomfortable. You know, those kind of squeeze formations where there's a, a tight end who's aligned right next to the defensive end. Now he's got to worry, is he going to chip me? Is it going to be a toss crack play? Is it, uh, is he going to get in the way? You know, maybe Philly goes into the game, kind of leans into more of a Belichick style or what Cincinnati was doing last week as well and says, all right, well, you know, Reddick, I don't want you to let Kelsey get a free run on his route. So I want you to hit Kelsey before you get into your pass rush. Well, advantage Chiefs. And you can't do that if Kelsey's split 10 yards away from the line of scrimmage. And so there's a lot of fun and interesting stuff that is going to go on in that specific battle. And I think like I said, the interior matchup is relatively even, uh, but the exterior one, I think, tilts in, in Philly's advantage. And so whether coach can scheme in the requisite help and then obviously whether the Kansas City guys step up and, and win their one-on-ones uh, is going to go a long way to determining what Kansas City's offense is able to do against Philly's defense. Uh, when you have... Well, you didn't play in that game against San Francisco. I was always shocked uh, in, in the, excuse me, in the Tampa Super Bowl. Um, I was shocked that it went that bad for that long, that there wasn't, maybe that's my being spoiled Dante Scarnecchi and whatever and being like, okay, if this is what we can't do, then we need to do something a little different. I was surprised that they just let it be that bad for that long in that entire game. Yeah, that game was just weird. It, it just, like you said, it got out of hand and it got out of hand so fast. Um You know, obviously going into that game, you're going to try to protect your guys. You're going to scheme in some help. Um I would say the worst thing that a coach can do is just think his O-line is going to suck and scheme a game assuming that your O-line is going to suck because all you're doing is you're forcing third and eight, third and 10, third and 12 when you go run, run or run screen or screen run. Um, you know, basically kind of what New England's offense looked like this year, uh, just not trusting everybody. And then all of a sudden it's third and eight every time. And what's the worst case scenario for your offensive line? Long third downs. Um, so coach is smart enough to know we can't just go into a game and, and basically concede the matchup up front. Uh, you do have scheme help. You do plan for it. Um, but if you're already accounting for it and the matchup isn't going in that direction, you either lean in full bore and every single time you just got two guys lined up right outside each tackle. Um, you give them help every single time. You allow the inside to kind of uh, try to block three on two in, in their own right. And then you're just compromising uh, what the passing game looks like. And especially you know, you're probably chipping with a tight end. And if you have one tight end on the field, that's Travis Kelsey. So now you're taking away your best advantage and you're forcing him to have to help out the offensive line. So it's it's difficult. It's tricky when things start getting out of hand. Um, all you can do is kind of go into the depths of your playbook and run really basic, you know, we would call them seven-man protections where you have the five offensive linemen and two other guys protecting and just stack those guys right next to your tackles and say, all right, we're going to have two or three man route concepts and we're going to hope that it uh, comes available. Um, but yeah, like you said, that, that Tampa Super Bowl got out of hand, got out of hand quick and it stayed out of hand for the whole time, which was unfortunate to see. Right. So health-wise, it's not even close O-line going into this one, even though you're right. When you think about Philadelphia and their options, that's like a call. It's like a, it's like Bama at peak D-line talent where it's like, wait, you guys can go four in? Like, this is ridiculous. Uh, 
What is Mahomes like on the sideline early in a big spot when you're trying to collectively like, okay, all right, you know, we have our game plan, we have our script, we have the things that we think we match up well with here, but this is this is something that's presenting itself. What are those conversations like with him? So there's a few different ways they can present. There's one which is kind of that like excitement that like, hey guys, they're doing something. I know what they're doing. Like, let's get to it. We can shred them. Uh, which that one's awesome because if he's got a feeling like it's going to happen and you know, like, hey, if we just do what he's telling us, like we're going to absolutely shred him. Uh, there's the one where he can kind of sense that frustration is piling up and, you know, there's an urgency to, hey guys, let's do this. You know, come on, let's keep fighting. Um, and that urgency kind of, you know, you, you get picked up by because uh, you can also sense that like he senses something in that moment. Um, and then there's the one where it's more frustration and that's where he as a leader is so good is turning that frustration into kind of positive reinforcement and a trust with everybody else. Because, I mean, we've seen he's uber competitive. I mean, being able to play last week, I don't know exactly how bad that injury was, but uh, I can't imagine it was feeling that great. Um, and he doesn't care. Like, again, when he got hurt originally, they had to like drag him off the field to go get an x-ray. Um, he doesn't care how he feels. And he's the kind of guy that doesn't tell you how bad he feels, um, which is also awesome. So in those tough moments on the sideline, you can sense frustration or you can sense the team being in a, in a spot where everybody's kind of uh, in a area where no one knows exactly what to do. And he's coming up and on the sidelines. He's given that encouragement and he's banked so much equity at this point um, that, you know, when he's leading in that manner, like, yeah, I got to pick it up. Like, I know we're all frustrated. I know I am again, I just gave up a sack. I feel like shit. I want to just like sit in a corner and, and be miserable, but like, I need to be better for that guy because if I'm better for him, like everything's going to work. You know what I loved about that win against Cincinnati was you could see once they were down to the receivers, you know, you could see, okay, all right, well, they're going to try to line up Kelsey. They're going to try to get him out wide now. But then it's like, okay, but he might have been doing the defense a favor by being like, okay, we have, he has like less space to kind of operate if he wants to come across the entire field. The other guys weren't getting open. Like you could just see there was no separation. So now Mahomes is going through the progressions and he's like, there's nothing really here. And he had converted some big third downs. Then they had like three possession stretch where they weren't doing anything. And like, you're going, this is so hard for him right now. This is so hard. And Cincinnati has a good defense. Uh, that defense shouldn't feel bad about being in Kansas City, only giving up that many points. Seriously, like when, when it's going south against the Chiefs, it usually gets a lot uglier than that. But then, you know, just, just finding a way, finding a way outside of whatever it is that your plan was a couple hours before, I just... You know, I wasn't really rooting for one team or the other. Uh, you know how I feel about Mahomes, and it's just fun all the time. But it was just kind of one of those moments where it's like there's just not a lot of guys that would be comfortable in that spot. And he still was comfortable. Like, this is going to be really hard. It's not going to work. We're going to have to punt a few times. But he could just stay the course, stay the course. And, you know, he finds a way on that one scramble. Yeah, and you bring up a really good point with the comfortability in those tough spots. You know, he was throwing passes to Marcus Kemp, who no one outside of Kansas City really knows who that is. He's an awesome dude. He's been on the roster, off the roster, on the roster, off the roster. Like the worst, honestly, lifestyle to live in the NFL when you're kind of that last guy that like the team trusts, you're a special teamer, but you're not really like a core player for the offense. So they feel like you're expendable and you keep coming back, you keep leaving and like you feel like you're not valued. And here he is in the AFC championship game as like the sixth receiver. And all of a sudden he's running big routes at the end of a game. And Pat has the trust to throw to him. And it's not like, all right, well, three guys are down. Kelsey's on the field. 
and these other schmucks are out here. Like, I'm not going to throw them the ball. It's like, no, I've been with all these guys before. I've practiced with them. I know who they are. And I'm still going to trust them in a big moment. I'm still going to throw them the ball over the middle in the fourth quarter of the AFC Championship game. We need to go to the Super Bowl. And that's a rare ability to, like you said, like trust everything that's going on around the field, having that kind of uh, command of the offense, command of the field. And you know, it just, it was kind of a masterclass in what a quarterback is supposed to look like. And then you add in the ankle injury and it uh, becomes even more incredible. Okay. Is he never a prick to you guys on the sideline? No, that's the thing. He's, he's exactly what he looks like. Like there's no, oh, he's different behind the scenes or he seems like a cool guy, but he actually thinks he's better than you. Like he's stayed the same the whole time. And as, I mean, we see these you know, competitors and the guys who hate losing, like that can turn into being a dick, like you're talking about, but that I've never seen it. That's never happened. Like he just has that ability to lead. And I don't know if, you know, when he first started playing, there was all the stories of, you know, his dad played baseball and he grew up in locker rooms and, you know, that kind of narrative. And I don't know if there's just something that you pick up on, you know, subconsciously being in those scenarios where you can maybe see things that you like or you don't like and you kind of conceptualize those and then it becomes part of your program later on in life when you do become a leader. But no, he legitimately, he, he gets pissed at himself. And, you know, there are times where he, I think in the 49ers Super Bowl, he throws a pick or maybe it's the second one. The quarterback's coach comes up to him, tries to start talking to him and basically trying to encourage him like, yeah, keep going, keep firing. And Pat's like, yeah, I know I'm going to keep firing. Like, what else am I going to do? I'm going to keep going. Um, so yeah, he's like, you don't really need to coach him because the expectations are so high. The competitiveness is so high and it just, it doesn't turn into negativity and especially negativity towards, um, you know, people who aren't on your level, which it very easily could. And we see it, you know, from most of the top athletes. Yeah. The reason I knew the, I already knew the answer to that, like, cause it doesn't feel like it's ever like, you know, I think some quarterbacks have enough equity where they can turn into a dick every now and then, you know, if they feel like it have, I mean, look, Brady, Let's guys have it all the time. But the thing is, that there's such a buy-in over the course of Brady's career that if you're the old lineman, it's like, okay, he's also doing it if you get to know him. Like, he's doing it to actually fire himself up. But it doesn't look yeah. great if you don't know the deal or if you're a younger <laughs> player, you might be like, what is this? And I never, ever really see that with Mahomes. Uh, maybe it is the locker room thing of growing up around, around guys, but it is just something I've always noticed with him. Uh, yeah, because like you said, he's earned the right to do that. Like, sure. He can pretty much act in any way he wants and it can be okay. I mean, what, two years ago, last year, we watched the last dance thing and all of a sudden Jordan's being an asshole to everybody's being celebrated. Like if you're that good, you have the ability to lead in whatever way you think is right. Um, but Pat just doesn't lean into the negativity at all. Right. Draymond's like, I thought this was cool. Like, what are you guys, I just, did you see the last dance? Uh, because <laughs> you know there's there's been a thing that i've noticed more and more and i think it's happening with like colleges or whatever but it, it happened on the uh the late hit on mahomes Dosai, who played a hell of a game a hell of a game for a young kid and now it's like it happened with purdue basketball the other day where if if a guy's made a mistake and then he's being asked about it in the locker room or in the post-game presser the teammate knows it's a huge win to grab. He just now dudes are just grabbing the microphone, answering for the guy. <laughs> and then everybody gives that guy be like, man, what a leader, like what a teammate. Like, no, I actually just wanted to ask the person that screwed up a play. What happened on the play? They screwed up like this isn't 
every so we're just seeing like more and more of this the entire time. So it just kind of made me laugh. And it's like imagine being a, a position coach and going up to Patrick Mahomes in a playoff game after an interception, trying to think like, hey, I know what to say. I know what to say to him. <laughs> and it's just like, no, I don't like if I were a kicker and missed three extra points, I don't want guys coming over to encourage me. Like, let me sulk and be miserable and I'll get through this. Uh, on my own. Okay, so are you surprised the Chiefs are, are dogs in this one? I mean, I know it's only a point and a half, but that's what it's at. No, again, I think when you look at the matchups and when you look at those offensive-defensive lines, I, I think those determine playoff football, you know, so strongly um, that if it wasn't Mahomes, you know, it'd probably be a three, four, five-point line. Um, but having Pat, you know, brings things back towards even. Um, now, you get into the advanced data a little bit, and we've kind of seen this floating around. The Philadelphia defense, as good as they've looked, as good as the numbers are, you know, against the top offenses have given up points. Um, they obviously haven't seen the best offense in the NFL this year. They haven't seen Mahomes. And so there could be hay to be made. And like I started this off with, especially if you're able to block up front a little bit because um, their, you know, passing defense is stronger than their running defense which is a good thing because Kansas City is not really going to you know, run the ball efficiently and set up the run and all that stuff. You know, they're going to lean into the passing game. Um, but you can get to them in, on the back end. And especially if you're able to, you know, block for three seconds instead of 2.25 seconds, like that doesn't seem like much, but that's a huge thing in the uh, NFL world. And in the offensive lines rooms, we always say protection beats coverage. You know, if you're able to block up front, guys will get open as good as defensive backs are. Um, it's just really difficult to cover a guy for four or five seconds. And so, um, um, doing that from the O-line perspective. So I'm not surprised to see that the line favored Philly coming out. Um, you know, haven't really looked at it over the last week. I'm not sure which direction it's moved, if any. Um, but again, on paper, I, I do think this one leans um, a little bit in Philly's advantage. It's just when you go into these matchups, you just think quarterbacks. And it's just it's so hard to kind of conceptualize that Mahomes is an underdog against Hurts, who as good as he's been, has admitted over the past few weeks, he's not 100%. He's not firing on all cylinders. And so, you know, that brings their ceiling down just a little bit as well. Yeah, that's kind of where I'm at with it, is that Hurts kind of conceding something and the tape probably backing it up a little where you're like, all right, and then you're going into a matchup with Mahomes. Now, look, I get it, the Kansas City defense, but you know they stepped up big against Cincinnati late there. Like when it felt like, okay, Cincinnati's going to figure this one out, and Kansas City gets off, gets them off the field there twice late. Uh, especially after Burrow converted that third and sixteen, I was like, oh, here we go, here we go. It's like now they got well them with off the, the field. Kansas City defense. I think every season the defense kind of starts slow, and whether that's having guys who are kind of older and maybe, you know, kind of ramp up their game as the season goes along this season in particular, basically the whole secondary are rookies or young guys. And so there's a learning curve there. And then McDuffie, the first rounder missed the first month or two, I think with the hamstring injury. And so the first month, month and a half of the season happens. Kansas City defense looks like crap. Everyone just says, oh, the defense is shitty again. The offense is going to have to run it. And then you kind of forget to check back in. You kind of forget to see the progress. And so these defenses tend to get better throughout the season. We just get so used to like, well, in October, they were still really bad. And we just kind of assume that they're going to stay that way. Um, but we have seen over the past few years, with bags especially, that the defenses do trend in the right direction come the playoff time. And he's able to uh, kind of get the best out of them. And I think the best example is Frank Clark. You know, I think he's like second all time in playoff sacks or something like he 
just turns it on at the end of the season and in the playoffs. And when you've got a defensive end who can do that, and then you combo him with Chris, and now all of a sudden you've got a two-sided uh, rushing attack where you can attack inside and outside, um, that can you know play uh, big for your defense. And so I think that we tend to underplay Kansas City's defense. You know, if we just looked at them from November on, we would think they're probably a lot better than uh, most people tend to think it at first thought. Yeah, no, it's fair. It's just it's just hard when you're comparing it to like the final four group that we had and you're going, all right, exactly. there's one that's that's way worse. But I <laughs> the weird thing is is I feel like I like the personnel and then the numbers I go, oh, like why do I like why do I like so much of this personnel so much? But I do think what they were trying to do is they were trying to get younger and in a, like they were gonna deal with the young mistakes and be positioned better as opposed to, you know, the other side of that bet is do we stay with guys that we trust? But the thing is, you know, you were gonna get older and worse. So they were at least like, let's be younger and not as good as some of the other top defenses, because the stats weren't really, you know, since Mahomes has been on this run, the statistical stuff on the defense has, has been you know the weak link the entire time all right well hey man enjoy the week i know it's always kind of a cool spot for you for a for a team that you played with and, and won a super bowl with but that was some good stuff so thanks yeah appreciate it it's gonna be a fun one this episode is brought to you by la quinta by wyndham la quinta by wyndham has everything you need for your next business trip from free high-speed Wi-Fi to fitness centers to free bright side breakfast with fresh waffles, eggs, and more, book direct at LQ.com. Tonight, La Quinta, tomorrow you shine. You want details? Bye. I drive a Ferrari, 355 Cabriolet. What's up? I have a ridiculous house in the South Fork. I have every toy you can possibly imagine. And best of all, kids, I am liquid. So, now you know what's possible. Let me tell you what's required. Life advice. Life advice rr at gmail.com. And boys and girls, we have an announcement. Saruti is back in the building. What's up? Chilling. I missed you guys. What's going on? What I miss? Did you? I don't feel like you I don't feel like you missed us that much. I no, I did. I did. Uh because here's the thing. Having a kid's awesome. It was I was really pumped to have these three months because you know, at first, you know, the first month, it's kind of like you're just new and like everything's crazy and you're just kind of hopped up on adrenaline and you're just waking up in the middle of the night and like, you know, I, I, I was fine, but I wasn't sleeping a ton. But then the next couple of months, she kind of changes and like the last month in particular, she's become like really aware and she's like aware of her hands and she's grabbing stuff and she laughs now when you like mess around with her, which is funny. Um, so I've been really pumped to have that time. But also... I've kind of had a lot of downtime. Like the weird thing about having a kid is like you have a lot of downtime, but you have to be available 24 seven, like at the drop of a hat whenever anything happens. So I've been just like watching a lot of shit. I've been, you know, I've probably watched more games than I ever have. You know, I've watched like every Premier League game during the day, a ton of magic basketball. Yes, I've watched a lot of Laurie Marketing for those that are asking. So I've had a lot of I've had a lot of downtime uh, and I'm ready to be back, man. I'm excited. So uh, happy to see you guys. And, you know, you guys look good. I thought you were going to zag on parenting for a second, but you pulled it back. Well, <laughs> I, I, I kind of did that in the pre-show with Kyle. I was like, I don't want to say it's not that hard uh, because it is hard. But, you know, it's mostly just like it's one of three things. She either has a diaper, she's hungry or she's tired. It's pretty much it, man. Like I've, I picture like a year from now when she's like walking around and she has stuff to say and she's eating different food. She doesn't want to eat this. She's throwing stuff on the floor. That seems like more of a nightmare than a newborn. But hey, I, I'll, I'll let you guys know when I, when I cross that bridge. You'll save the other 
couple months of your Spotify paternity for that time when you're like, ah, well, that's, a a, th- that's the thing, too, is like, you know, we obviously get six months. I had a lot of guys tweeting at me being like, when the hell are you coming back? You just like quit. Like, what are you doing? And, you know, I did kind of feel bad towards the end. Like, all right, it's been three months. Like, it's time to come back. But I, I, again, I am pumped that I got this last month in particular because, again, I probably sound like a sap, but she really did change a ton. And it was cool to see that. So the problem is now she doesn't start daycare for another month. So I got to figure out what to do in the meantime. But my mom's here. So what's up, mom? You got that neighbor that you guys are friends with, too. Maybe nah, he, he will step up. I'm kidding. <laughs> I'm kidding. <laughs> no, I haven't seen him once. It's been a great time. Yeah, look, I mean, as the oldest and, and being stuck babysitting quite a bit, uh, and I know everybody wants to pretend that has gives me no perspective whatsoever, and I understand there's a detachment that I did not have as a non-parent, but once the kids were mobile, it was a whole new ball game. Oh, it man. sucked because you're just constantly being like, where is so-and-so? Especially when you're me and... I'm probably watching a game or whatever. Like, I remember that first time I came back to live with my parents when I was 23. So my youngest brother was only like a year old. And, oh, wait, I wasn't, I was 20, I was 25. And he was, I think, two. So I remember they were like, hey, you're, if you're around, like, you're going to watch him on Saturday. And I was like, here we go again. I'm like, this (laughs) fucking thing. I was like, I spent my whole childhood until I was ready to bounce and then hand it off to the next sibling that was like do up which is you know no offense kind of bullshit uh <laughs> about the way it all worked where as soon as like the next one of us was ready it was like next man up baltimore raven style where you just were like okay rosillo i like i finally was like i'm done with this i'm done with this and then my poor sister and then the other sister and then it just went on and on and so that first weekend when i was back i was like i'm not fucking doing this i moved to burlington within a week i moved right back <laughs> I was like, I'm not doing this because you're right. Like, hey, where's so-and-so? I don't know. He's two. Like, and he's probably in the playroom or whatever. It's like, yeah, I don't yeah. Know. And then it's like, no, no, he, we didn't. He, <laughs> he knows how to unlock the door from the inside now. And I was like, oh, no, oh, like, he's yeah. in the driveway. And you're like, oh, shit. I'm like, so I got to like worry about him being at driveway level. Like, I didn't. Why is he want to go like, in the driveway? It's you gotta cold. get zip ties for everything. <laughs> yeah. Zip ties, you got to plug up the electrical outlets. Every like sharp corner of anything has to be like smoothed out with some plastic thing that you can buy. I saw those on Amazon. That's just, I mean, there's just so much more that goes into it. I feel like, again, it's, it's, it, it is nice that it kind of is like a gradual step, right? Because like you think, okay, I have this kid and I'm like trying to keep her alive. And that's kind of what you're doing for the first month. And you know, every little thing you think is like the end of the world too. It's, it is really true. Like by the time, like me dad from like week one to like month two is totally different like i now i'm just like oh it doesn't matter she's fine and the first week i'd be like oh my god like call the pediatrician like she's we need to figure something out right now uh but once they're like mobile and you don't have and then you there if there's multiple of them like that's what maddie and i've talked about my wife to be like imagine having another one like, imagine having a baby while you have a toddler like that's that's insanity to me. I don't. I don't know that. That's uh, we, we have to rethink our, our plans potentially for what's going to happen here because that sounds like a disaster. But all in all, uh, like I said, I'm happy to be back. Um, she's super cool. Uh, she's super chill. She sleeps. She slept. She slept ten hours last night. So it's like she sleeps pretty well too. So like I'm sitting here going, all right, I need to get back into. Plus, Franz Wagner's been balling out. You know, yeah, here we go. We got a lot of things that I need to get off my chest here pretty soon. So here we are. Okay. And you got to make right. your picks. You got to make your picks. You got to make people, all the Super Bowl press. People got mad about that. They're like, why, why can't Srudy send in his pick? I'm like, does it really matter? Like, who cares? Like, all right, I guess I can if I will. But Well, anyway. you are back this week. So uh, we thought maybe you'd have to, we could discuss it on the pick segment. That's my record. I think I'm 500. So this, this is for all the marbles. <laughs> You're like 57%. <laughs> Crazy. Perfect. What I missed while I was gone. I mean, I tried to listen to most shows. It seems like everything went well, you know? 
Yeah, I went to NASCAR race last night. Um, that was cool. NASCAR Whoa. in LA. Yeah. Oh, that's why you were us. off. Yeah. Yeah. Did you do that? I didn't Did do you? it on purpose, <laughs> but uh, on Friday when when the, the rumblies came out, I'm like, this seems like a great Sunday to take off, <laughs> just in case uh, some shit goes down. So Dude, that was awesome. So I, I've talked to multiple guys who are not into NASCAR and are like, NASCAR races are the fucking shit. Like, na- they're this one was fun. small. It was a quarter track, so it was just and apparently like you, the yellow flags normally you just kind of race with caution. Like the the safety car came out and we left actually before the end because it was like. It just kept like five, we'd go five laps and then it's like, oh, a guy spun out because there's like, I don't know, there's like 27 cars on a quarter mile track. It's nuts. But, but it's uh, not even about the, isn't it just like you're just drinking on the infield kind of thing? Like it's just sort of like a. I mean, this one was the Coliseum. There was no infield. It was like, yeah, uh, yeah it was, it was different. Everyone just kept saying it's different, man. It's different. It's like, hey, it's all right. But if you keep telling me it's different, I'm going to get bummed out. You got a half it from it fun. though. I just I realized that. <laughs> Let's go. Clash, baby. <laughs> Did you use the connect that wanted us to go as a show? No, I I didn't do it last year because I had to work. And my old guy, uh, my my veteran buddy, was the guy who was like, "You guys want to go to the Coliseum?" And I was like, "Not really." And then my other buddy said yes, and I was like, "I changed my mind. I do want to go." So it was me, this like forty, my forty two year old buddy, and a seventy three year old buddy, and we just uh, we were just <laughs> gen- different generations at the uh, at the Coliseum. Are these frolic room guys? Like what? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was sort of like it was sort of like going with your work friends somewhere. We kind of, you know, that's kind of our home base. So it's sort of like I'm not so sure, but uh, it went it went well. All right, we have a couple follow ups. Um, The Wall Street Journal thing has has not been solved, Uh, but then people, of course, were like, "You're wrong. There is no Sunday." Yes, it is the Saturday slash Sunday. So you got me. Um, Jesus, how could you? You know, how could like, you overlook right, that one? Right, right, right. Because I was like, wait, did I remember what I ordered? I remember what it said. I remember what day it said it would be delivered. And then I was like, let me look at the one that I have. And I was like, oh, it's Saturday, Sunday. And people thought like they cracked the case because I had the day wrong. Like you were reading your own. Yeah, I know. Device. Right. I, <laughs> I bought, I bought the wrong paper and didn't realize it. Uh, no. Um, guy's still stealing it. So I just need to go back and look at all the camera stuff. Just haven't had enough time. Uh, we had a, we had a lot of doc follow-ups. Uh, so Rudy, if you don't know about doc, that was Kyle's paroled buddy who was a 30 year old black guy that hung out with teenagers, uh, as if that wasn't sketchy enough. Um, the thing he was is placed in our dorm, what right? So everybody wanted, everybody wanted to believe that he was a narc. And I said, there's no way Kyle is seasoned a seasoned yeah, expert in deviant behavior wouldn't figure out who a narc was. Uh, we had a lot of follow-up and uh, somebody chimed in who knows him. I, I went doubt to, it. Uh, I went to let's school see. at SUNY Potsdam a few years before Kyle also knew Doc. He was always keenly aware of when to bounce when shit was going down. I can confirm he's not a cop, though. I lived in Potsdam for about six years and knew a few locals very well and actually asked that same question. And if you know Potsdam, you know there's no black guys in the police force, so there's no way he was <laughs> undercover. Just to, just to clear Doc's good name. Well, thanks, dude. Maybe he did, though. It sounds like he did. Okay. All right. Let's get to a couple emails here. Denying a kid in need. Good transition <laughs> off a little parenting update. Uh, this one's kind of weird, so I think it's worth a read. 24 years old, 6 feet, 180, not a huge gym guy, so I don't have any personal records. That's okay. 
Now the subject doesn't make me sound like the greatest guy in the world. Maybe that's true. But if anyone had to make a ruling on it, it's the brain trust. Some context that may be helpful. I'm a very laid back person who does not love confrontation. I've only been in one fight and that was to defend a roommate with a loud mouth. And yes, by getting into that fight, I was really trying to avoid future confrontation with my roommate. He understandably would not have been happy if I didn't have his back. Chestnut checkers. I live on the East Coast. And like most places, uh, there are very nice areas of town. And then there is the opposite. There's a smoothie shop in a bad part of town that I go to every now and then. Uh, This event in question takes place there. It was nighttime, which I think matters. And I was ordering a smoothie after a long day of work. After I ordered, I noticed a kid, probably 14 to 16 years old, outside of the store. He was cupping his eyes so he could see the people on the inside and make a weird counting motion. Now, there's no way nice to, no uh, nice way to put this, but something was off. Okay. I got my smoothie turned around and the kid was gone. I went to my car, parked a decent away uh, from the store, and there he was. He was kind of hiding behind a light pole, not saying anything. So I proceeded to just get in my car. After doing so, he holds out a dollar bill trying to get my attention. His other hand was in his pocket, and we definitely made eye contact. Instead of rolling the window down and seeing what, if anything, he needed, I just drove off. There's not some crazy climax to the story, but I'd be lying if I hadn't been stuck in my head for a few weeks now. As I type this out, I'm getting the feeling I probably should have seen when he needed. However, my paranoia got the best of me and there's nothing I can do about it now. So my question is, was I an asshole for, was I an asshole for just driving away from this kid who appeared to have been in need? Thanks for taking the time. Sorry if it went long. Uh, I don't think anybody's really going to blame you here for going. I don't know. Now, I mean, yes, could we play out the scenarios of this kid that maybe had something going on with him where there was an awkwardness, some anxiety to him actually going into a smoothie shop and then ordering a smoothie for himself and that that's what he was trying to do? Like, so I'm not trying to make you feel worse, but like as I'm playing it out going, what could it have been that he wanted to do? Why Was he holding out a dollar saying like, hey, I, I wanted something in there and that's why he was looking in, but he wasn't comfortable ordering or he didn't know how to order. Um, a dollar is not going to cover a smoothie anyway, so I don't know if there's some part of that where he wanted you to then pay for the rest of it. I don't know, man. Um, I think it's, I think it's cool that you cared enough to even write the email, but I would guess most people presented with that scenario and you're not even quite sure what the hell's going on. And as you're driving away, I don't think many people are getting out of the car to like reassess and going like, let me make sure I've, I've checked in on everything here. So I don't think you should feel bad about it. If you want, you know, Go back again. If you feel that bad, go back again and see if the dude's around. I don't know. Sure. I mean, listen, I, I'm just thinking if I'm like in the 7-Eleven waiting to check out um, and I just see somebody's like, you know, facing the window counting who's in there. I'm like, I might not even fin- I might not even buy what I came to buy. My point is like, it's just somebody's counting the people in a shop like that. Um, I'm definitely I'm definitely out of there. And I mean, here's the other thing. Maybe. Maybe you don't live in the in the shitty part of town. I do live in the shitty part of town, so my answer is probably different than yours. I'm just, I'm, I mean, I'm eyes front and I'm kind of moving. You know, there's there's very few things that'll shake me out of that mode. I could see how you'd be like, oh, you know, maybe the the 16 year old kid, perhaps. I don't know. I don't know. I've seen I've seen some guys up to no good that are probably 16 years old. Uh, I'm not into that. So I mean, if you're not if you're not like if you don't live in that part of town, maybe maybe like you know. You got you got a little shocked and you're like, oh, wow, this is different. It's not different for me. I could tell you without a doubt, I probably would have just kept it pushing. Um, so uh, just it's different strokes. Uh, I think it's good. It's good that you're human and you and you do care. Not to say that I wouldn't care. It's just, you know, if, if it happens often enough, you're you're kind of just like, yeah, we know the answer to this question. And it's I don't know. Let's just keep going. It, it kind of reminds me. It's kind of like when you go to Europe and like the uh, 
the locals can sort of tell that you're a tourist. So they like do fucked up shit to you, like, and they'll try to scam you or they'll, you know, all this different stuff. They'll start stealing from you. What, what it seems like is maybe this guy picked you out as like a not local guy or not from this part of town. He was Perhaps. like, hey, like I'm going to pull. I, that's kind of what it seems like to me. And if the worst thing that happened in the scenario is you didn't buy this guy a smoothie on the inside of this shop, then like I don't think anybody's really harmed in this situation. So it is nice that you worry about it and you're like you care about your fellow man. But I really I don't know. Chances are somebody else helped this guy. And if not, you, somebody else probably got scammed, which is probably what really happened. Yeah, I I don't think you should feel bad, man. I'm just telling you, like, you just, it, it's uh, not super comfortable surroundings. You don't even know what the hell is going on. So, like, you've basically convinced yourself in the head, if you feel bad about this, you've convinced yourself that it was only something that you did wrong, you know? I just don't think most people are going to go, wait a minute, let me stop, get out of the car, just grab my smoothie, let me check with the stranger, see what's going on, see what he needs, see how I can offer to help. Uh, you know, it was a guy maybe trying to buy a smoothie. This wasn't like somebody laying in the street when we had the Uber thing. Right. Yeah. Yeah. The next thing you know, he's like, hey, can I, can I just borrow your cell phone? I got to make a phone call. And then you're in, then you're well, kind of in this well, situation and then you're, the then cell, it's just hard to get out of it. Yeah. The cell phone <laughs> one is like the all timer. Like I was in Atlanta yeah. <laughs> and I took the train to go to the gym. As soon as I get off the train, I got like three dudes around me being like, hey, just let my cell phone, I have to call somebody real quick. I was like, are you guys, yeah. yeah, I was like, are you guys fucking serious? <laughs> And it was just like immediately <laughs> like, oh, he's not going to let us run away with a cell phone. I gave some dude directions like a month ago when I was pumping gas. And I was originally like, you know, probably the guy I wasn't going to strike up a conversation with. But he's like, I could see him diagonally walking across the thing. I'm like, oh, shit. He's like, I got to get to the DMV, man. And I'm like, I actually know where that is. It's just this way. It's on Wilcoxville. And he's like, you want to give me a ride? And I was like, no. He was like, come on, man. You know, I was like, just giving a guy directions. He's trying to, you know, he's, yeah. he's trying to make me feel bad because I'm not going to like, you know, give this dude a ride to the DMV. I was like, no way, dude. That backpack's way too big. I don't know what you got in there. Yeah, so, this uh, isn't, this isn't like, none of these, no one should feel bad about these transactions of like, you know, I don't know, man. I Look, I, I remember one time in Boston, I totally got, like I'd first moved there. I wasn't seasoned enough. And a guy like stops me frantically in the middle of the street and i was driving i forget it was later at night you know so i was i was driving like i must have been doing tv that night or something and it was like going through town to get home and a guy like comes around because it wasn't like a main spot he's like just comes running darting out right he's waving his arms he's waving his arms and he's like hey my car whatever whatever and i was in a good mood and he only needed like 10 bucks and I was like, that's fine. And then I like replayed everything that he said to me in his head. Is like, I'm like driving away, feeling good about myself. And then I'm like, wait, you asshole. Like none of that made any sense. He's like, oh, I work at the airport. He's like, I'm at the legal seafood at the airport. And if you need it, like, I can give you the 10 bucks back. I'm like, wait, I could never get through security just to get 10 bucks back from a guy if I don't have a flight. And I was like, 10 bucks. I was like, I know what that number's for. And so the car that didn't have gas was actually down the street and he was like, he didn't need a ride back to the car. He didn't need a ride to the gas station, just needed the 10 bucks. He had it down. He fucking had it down. Like he blitzed me, like yeah. blitzed me and I'm in my car and he's like all over it. And I was like, all right, whatever. I was like, I can give this guy 10 bucks. And then, yeah, after I was done and driving away, like once the first two minutes of being like, you're a great guy. <laughs> And then I'm That's like, That's the thing is they're running plays. Like they're, there's a playbook and they're running yeah. plays right in front of you. Yeah. He, yeah, I had no, I was just, I mean, they were, 
he was one minute drill, not two minute drill. That's how fast he was going. I had no timeouts left. I was fucking lost. I'm running the panic around. Of it all. Yeah. I'm looking at the sideline and then I'm driving away. And it was like, I it seriously was like a two minute thing where I'm like, no, wait, you're a dick. I'm like, you just <laughs> fell for that. I'm like, think about everything he just said. And I think you have to have that happen to you a couple of times before you go like, oh, yeah, I'm I'm out on most of these almost situations. Yeah. All of them. Yeah. Uh, and that's also living in a city for a while. Like I hadn't, I hadn't lived in the city and not a real city. That's the first time I'd lived in like a city city. And so at first I was like, Oh wait. And then you're like, okay. You know, the guy, and I'll never forget the guys outside of Fenway, man. The guys outside of Fenway, like they get these badges on that are totally fake and a clipboard <laughs> and they're like, Hey, we want to sign you up for all this stuff or whatever. And I'm like, how come you guys are always out here when no one else is around? Like you don't, right. you don't do it. You don't do it like an hour before the first pitch right? because you're going to get in trouble. You kind of do this lingering sixth inning thing where if somebody's leaving early or showing up or whatever, like you guys kind of play it a certain way. And then, you know, there was always these articles about like, do not sign up or give money or for this youth group thing. And these badges are fake, whatever. So I don't know. That's good. You feel something, man. I know. That's all I mean. Don't lose that. Try not to. All right. Let's do another one of our wheelhouse ones. Am I overreacting? Is my girlfriend cheating on me? 27, 6, 4, 95 kilograms. It was going to be 95 pounds. Because you're going to say yes. <laughs> Keep moving. <laughs> what's, the ma- what's the math on that? Do we know? What is that in pounds? Uh, I don't know. Is that 180? What was the uh, weight again? 95. 95. Those two pounds. That can't doing be right. this on the fly. Oh, two <laughs> two can't ten. Be right. No, it's two ten. Okay. All right. Yeah. Oh. I buy it. I can just see fucking people freaking out for me getting it wrong by thirty pounds. I apologize to you and a nation. Uh good day from Australia. My girlfriend and I have been together for just over two years. He said good day, not me. Uh we live together in an investment property and we own a puppy. My girlfriend's 22 and attracts a bit of attention on social media because she's gorgeous. I got to tell you, just dabbling in the Australian posts, holy shit. <laughs> <laughs> I don't have any social media and it has been that way since before we started dating. While using my girlfriend's phone to cast to the TV one night. Oh. Isn't that how it always happens? Uh, you, don't, you don't cast either? You, you, <laughs> you don't got Chromecast open. on your phone either? Come on. He actually right. opens the DMs. Yeah. Right. I noticed next to my contact icon was an Instagram contact for another guy. I asked her, who is that? To which she responds, he messaged me saying Polly, our puppy is cute, after she posted on her story. All right. Well, if anybody's Come actually on. fucking, yeah. Like, I have one thing on my mind if I'm asking about your dog. Uh, I asked her if she responded. She said, quote, no, he just reached, uh, reacted to my photo, which confused me because at first she said he messaged her. Right. And, and in the context, which is strange too. Why would it be in the context? After some discussion, I asked if I could see the message and she said, quote, we need to trust each other. That's good. That's very good. She's 22. She then said uh, she, quote, had deleted Instagram. And after more discussion, she agreed to re-download Instagram. 
when she did. She want to snoop around in there. Right. So she what she at that moment took it off her home screen and it was problem solved. And then very shortly <laughs> after, a hot 22-year-old from Australia was like, you know, I think I'm actually just going to fire Put the back. app back yep. up. Right. Because when you do delete it, you don't like delete it. It's just not there. And then when you reload it, it like automatically puts you back. Like at least Twitter, I think you have to like re-sign and do everything again. Instagram, you're just immediately back in. Shout out to Meta. <laughs> right. Which is actually probably not as cool. But um, she she agreed to re-download Instagram. When she did, there was no message in her inbox. She said the guy must have gotten embarrassed and deleted his message. <laughs> There's Does too that much make narrative any sense? here. There's too much narrative here. You're trying too hard, miss. During yeah. our two years, we, we've never fought, had great communication and conflict, res, uh, conflict resolution. I want to trust my girlfriend apart from the situation. I've never had a reason to doubt her, but her responses were off and out of character. Once or twice, she's asked who I'm texting, and I've been open, honest, and shown my phone even if she didn't ask, as I'm usually texting the mum-aged people from work or the front office ladies. I'm a teacher. Am I overreacting? Should I dig a little deeper? Love the pot. Thanks, Ryan Crow. I don't know. I mean, I don't know if you're overreacting. I would say that the path of stuff here isn't great. Um, I don't. It could be a simple confusion on he messaged me or he posted a comment. 22, you probably wouldn't make that mistake. Um, and then when you asked to see it, she said we need to trust each other. And then she decides to delete it. But the thing is, like, I don't know if you guys can help me with this. Uh, if you're deleting it, it doesn't delete all the messages. And if you send a message at your end that's not received, I don't think by you deleting it on your end Correct. that you can then delete, from the delete it on their end. Yeah, you can't like, unsend. No, I don't Yeah, think so. like once it's sent, it's sent. So you can delete all you want, but once it's over there, it's there. So I think, I don't know. Um, I think it's a little sketchy, but she, you know, she may not have been doing anything sketchier than... A guy messaged about the Accepting puppy. And she flirt. said, hey, how's it going? Cool. I mean, look, people are going to fucking flirt with each other, man. I mean, it's still kind of, I mean, it's, I know I'm not for everybody, but like, you know, depending on how flirty you can be or the attention that you're getting. I mean, shit, not that long ago, somebody was confusing me with a completely different group of people. It was the most attention I've ever had in my entire life. Uh, and I was like, yeah, I'm sorry to disappoint you, but I'm not any of those people. Um, and boy, were they disappointed by the large number. So anyway, uh, just to put it this way, I mean, it's, how crazy do you want to drive yourself? You know what I mean? Like if everything else checks out and everything's pretty good, this seems to be one mishap and she doesn't want to share that she actually did message a guy, but it's, you know, I don't know, just, just be more aware, but I wouldn't go through shit. I just, I'm very anti that. I don't, I think it, it comes a point maybe when you have to, I, I'd understand it, but, uh, I would say it's a little dicey, but not enough to drive yourself crazy. You know, if everything else has been really good. Kyle? I think the facts are, the facts don't say that she cheated on you. I think the facts say that she definitely accepted a flirt or maybe even flirted herself. Like, I, I think that's just what we kind of have uh, out here. And that's, and like you said, it's like you go through life. It's, it's, you know, it's, it's going to happen. Sometimes it's, you know, it's who you work with. Sometimes, I don't know. Sometimes it's just on the, on the train or something. Somebody looked at you, you look back and you're like, oh, it was nice. Sometimes it's just nice to be wanted. So I don't know what happened. I just Kyle know, knows. I yeah. just know, uh, the train facts eyes. don't say, the facts don't say that, uh, they just train eyes. <laughs> the facts don't say <laughs> that she cheated on you. I think the facts do point, kind of point into her, um, uh, being, uh, at least one half of a flirt here. 
And uh, and I and I, I wouldn't doubt that she didn't start it. I don't think she started it. You know, I think somebody else probably started it up. Um, and you know, I don't think anybody ever wants to admit that. So I guess I can understand why she, you know, said all these weird things. But I mean, it's I mean, I guess you boil it down, you kind of get to a lie at the bottom. So that 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 could definitely bother you. But I mean, what what was she supposed to do in the other in the the reverse of that? Just be like, yeah, you know, this dude would did say something, and I, you know. I I like I hearted his you know message that he said I'm I'm hot or whatever you know I don't know it's just uh, it's all uncomfortable I think everyone in a relationship hopes so badly that we're not getting cheated on that you know maybe some of us start to wonder out loud I try not to do that but um, I don't know uh, I, all I have to say is I don't think you got cheated on I do think you got flirted on and that's that's not too uncommon I wish we could know what like her her page was like or her follower count was like because is. Like, is she just a hot person that has like a few thousand followers or is she like running an account that is, you know, her in a bikini or her like at the gym? Do we know? You know what I mean? Like an, an account that like is garnering some attention. Right. Does and she have codes the- for water bottles? <laughs> and, and and usually those never have a dude in them, even on the tags, like, because <laughs> yeah. they know yeah. it's so bad for business no. to be like, and here's Seth. Well, that's what I was going to ask next <laughs> is, are you in any of her photos? And the answer, right. the answer is probably no. And but here's the thing, like if you're dating someone like that, I wouldn't expect her to put you in her photos if this is like a page that she's trying to like make money off of or like become famous from. So like, yeah, all right, I don't think she should be offended that you're not in any of the pictures. Um, but it's also just kind of like part of dating someone like that is that, yeah, dudes are going to hit on her and she's going to maybe entertain one or two. And if she, if she doesn't act on them, I think she, obviously it's everything's kind of totally fine. If you're not comfortable with her even going back and forth with like a couple DMs here and there, then, you know, well, I don't know that I'd, I'd be psyched about that becoming a habit, to be <laughs> yeah. honest with you. But, but if, 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 if she's reacting to a story and it's like one or two things, like, again, I'm not like, you know, I'm not like advising that you go and, and, you know, sniff around and see what the DMs look like, because then you're probably really not going to like the situation. You're not going to like it at all. Um, <laughs> you're not going to like it. But like, yeah, but know, do we all do we agree that her story doesn't really check out? Though? It does. Like some, it's a little something's sketchy. wrong. No, it's, it's a little it sketchy. boils down to a lie. It must. It must. You know, she's probably just trying to hide the fact that she responds to a couple here and there. And to me, that I, you know, it's easy for me to say I'm not dating this person. Um, you know, my wife isn't an Instagram person, so like, it's easy for me to be like, oh, not don't anymore. worry about it. Like, this comes with the territory, but it kind of comes with the territory, dude. If you're if you're if your girl is a significant person in the Instagram space, she's gonna get people firing at her. Yeah, yeah, that's that's something. You know, I mean, if the message is something like, "There's dog food cans everywhere," speaking of cans, and you're just like, oh. This is horrifying. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I mean, perhaps yeah, I, a real life version of this shit happens at the gym, too. Like maybe just a version with no DMs happens at the gym, too. Like she's a person in the world. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. But, you know, if you don't see it at the gym and you're not there with her, then there's nothing for her to come clean on. Right. I don't know. I don't think it's the end of the world. I, I think, you know, and the other problem that will happen to somebody that's in a relationship, depending on kind of what you want to allow yourself to do to yourself, is then you can start going down this road where you start creating all sorts of scenarios that aren't even fucking true. So I would just say get in front of that. If everything else has been really good about this, it may have just been this quick little back and forth. I think as we've all agreed on here. And if nothing else comes up that falls into this category, then I would say keep it moving and, and don't worry about it a ton. But you know, look, if she is about DMing a million guys and is is entertaining a bunch of different things, she's going to get caught again. Like something yeah. else will happen. Yeah. Um, the so, contacts thing is weird. You're right, Kyle. The con- it being in her contacts is very strange. I mean, the whole story is like fucking bonkers. But yeah, that's the one that's like, actually, there's no connection that leads to why is there somebody in your contacts that 
deleted a message that messaged you one time. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know. So I'd say keep your eyes peeled for any weird trips. But otherwise, I think if everything's good, you know. Yeah. Yeah. Good yeah. luck. Yeah. Good luck, dude. Good luck. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. <right>. Good luck. <laughs> Sorry you're dating a hot person. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Um, and yes, not 95 pounds. <laughs> it's good to have Saruti back in the mix. Uh, we'll be back on Wednesday, uh, be in Arizona for a couple of days there. Uh, not quite sure. Probably just going to do normal shows for the most part. And then we have the trade deadline stuff with Bill on Thursday. So um, I don't know. Maybe I won't even do a Friday show. I don't know. Now that I'm thinking about it, because usually Thursday is like a million shows. So we'll uh, we'll see. But again, good to have everybody back here. Thanks to Kyle. Thanks to Saruti, uh, the Ryan Russell Podcast, Ringer Spotify. <laughs>